Why is God closing all these doors? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, our business partner today is FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software. We'll be talking about that more in a minute. This is Dan Miller. Yes, this is the 48 Days Radio Show. We're going to blast into some questions. Take about 48 minutes to unpack real-life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day excited to be able to do something that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. You know, last week I said that it was Gruntled Workers Day. That means we're not disgruntled, we're gruntled. We find good things to say about our work. You know, there's all kinds of um, strange holidays out there. This week, I so apologize for not warning you in advance that Wednesday was National Hot Dog Day. There were a whole lot of places that offered free hot dogs and other kind of freebies, wiener deals on Wednesday, July 18th. I'll be keeping you abreast of some of those coming up. Going into August here, we got Girlfriend's Day on August 1st, Spider-Man Day, Respect for Parents Day. Those are all August 1st. Let's see. Um, next day is Take a Penny, Leave a Penny Day. Then we got uh, Homemade Pie Day is August 3rd. That'll be a podcast release date. So we may do something special for Homemade Pie Day. But anyway, lots of fun things out there. People have made national holidays out of pretty much anything you can imagine. Well, here's some of the questions we'll be looking at today. Dan, how can I be successfully socially? Successful socially when I'm an introvert? Eh, Interesting question. We'll talk about that. I just took a job for $8 an hour. Should I stay and hope for promotion or start looking elsewhere? How about this one? Our priest is starting a new life and is thinking about driving a truck. Are there better options for him? Hmm. And then what I opened with here, why is God closing all these doors? Well, those are some, we'll get to more as we can, but got some good news to start us off with as well. Here's a quotation relative to my opening question. This comes from Mandy Hale, who's an author. If God closes a door and a window, consider the fact that it might be time to build a whole new house. Wow, I like that. Here's another one. This comes from Helen Keller. You know, when, when we have a theme, it's so easy to find uh, quotations that relate to that. As you know, quotations uh, get circled around, a lot of times attributed to new people. This one comes from Helen Keller, and I have heard it from her before who said, when one door of happiness closes, another opens. But often we look so long at the closed door that we do not see the one which has been opened for us. So here's a call to action this week. Are you staring at a closed door? Maybe it's time to build a new house. Well, we'll look at that. Hey, let me tell you about our friends at FreshBooks. You know, just this week, somebody asked me why I dislike accounting so much. Why I'm not thrilled the one day of the month when I have to spend it, you know, going through financial reports and all that. Well, (laughs) you know, 
I, I don't find it very thrilling to try to remember, you know, how I spent $13.12, you know, th- last month and trying to remember that and put it into the right category. I mean, that stuff just doesn't excite me. What I get excited about are all the opportunities out here to just go ahead and make new money. That does excite me. But I, I've never been a fan of looking back over my shoulder and trying to put all the expenses in the right categories. However, that being said, I do believe it's important to do it. So it's one of those things. It's a very small part of my business as it should be yours. Very small part, but a necessary part. And that's why I promote fresh books. I mean, do yourself a favor. You know, so you, you make it as easy as possible. You can scan your receipts. I don't do that consistently, but it gives you the flexibility to be able to do this. Scan your receipts immediately, put them into categories. I'm not organized enough to even do that. So I do have some of the catching up month by month to try to figure out, gee, where did I spend that money? What is this check that came in? You know, where did that come from? Well, FreshBooks makes it easy to do all those things. It's, it's really made for people like me who don't like dealing with numbers, don't like dealing with their taxes. Well, right now, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to 48 Days listeners. Uh, to claim it, you don't even have to put in a credit card. You just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days, enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. Again, just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and then enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. All right, now we got some good news. And boy, we got a couple here that really moved me deeply, as I trust they will you as well. Here's one. Now, this did not just happen. This happened a while ago, so we've got a little history beyond that. But the title, the lead-in on this story is Farmers Stay Silent During Auction So Young Man Can Win the Bid on His Long-Lost Family Farm. David says, I've had two profoundly humbling days in my life. The first was the day my son was born. The second was that unforgettable day at the auction house. Now, a long time ago, before David was born, 80 acres of their small family farm in Nebraska had been separated out and willed to a distant relative. Coming from a long line of farmers, David heard this story over and over as a child, and it fueled a passion within him to make the farm whole again, to get that 80 acres joined back with the main farm again. In 2011, David and his family learned that the precious 80 acres was going to be sold at auction in just a couple of weeks. Suddenly, I mean, he was, he was only... 24 at the time. He needed to figure out how to find an extraordinarily large sum of money. Even though I had dreamed of getting the land back for as long as I could remember when the day came, I wasn't ready. He knew in his heart he had to give it his very best effort. And after two weeks of meticulous planning, creative thinking, and sleepless nights, he and his dad came up with their very best number that they would be able to handle and headed for the auction. Now, when they walked through the door of the auction house that night, their hearts immediately sank. The place was packed with over 200 farmers, most of whom had much larger farms, more resources, could outbid him and his father many times over. So the auctioneer called the session to order, asked for the first bid. David and his dad looked at each other, took a deep breath, and made their first bid. 
The auctioneer acknowledged their bid and then called for a second. But the room was totally silent. He kept asking for another bid. Finally, the auctioneer took a break. When a reconvene came back, a second bid was once again called for. Absolute silence. Three times they took breaks. Each time the room remained completely silent. Finally, the auctioneer had no choice but to award David and his father the winning bid. David and his father were stunned. The family farm was once again complete. When asked, you know, what he thought happened there, you know, without missing a beat, he said, respect. I mean, is that a cool story or what? I mean, I, I can, I've been to a lot of auctions. I've been to auctions where a farm was divided into small sections and people would bid, you know, really stretch to buy their 10 acres or 15 acres or whatever. Well, what happens usually when a farm is sold off like that, when my brother's farm was sold off last year, 65 acres, they divided it into four sections. So it was very long process, very strange. People bid and bid and bid. And finally there were winning bids on each of those four sections. Well, then What they do is they say, if anybody would like to, they can bid on the entire farm together. All they have to do is provide a bid 1% higher than the combined bids on all the individual pieces. And in that case, in the case of my brother's farm, that's exactly what happened. A young Amish guy who has a thriving business, boom, they figured out what is the 1% over, one bid, and he owned it all. The bids that other people made didn't matter. Anyway, I've been through a lot of auctions. I love to go to auctions. So I understand the emotion there of waiting for that hammer to be brought down. Boom, sold. But I can just imagine David here wanting to get the 80 acres back. And what a, what a tremendous show of courtesy, respect, honor, community to hold your bid, even though you had the ability to buy it and allow this young man to bring that 80 acres back into the family farm. Well, very cool story. How about this one? Here's a man who digs a well in 40 days for his wife after she's denied water. Now, a man just proved his whole village wrong by doing what was considered impossible. In a determined frenzy that neighbors thought was crazy. Here's what happened. This was in India, very poor section of India. And his wife was turned away and insulted because she was trying to get water from a well. So this guy was pushed to the edge, hearing about the disrespect of his wife and their poor neighbors. So his name was Tane. He put his back and his tools to work for six hours every day, digging a new water well all by himself in their village. Now this is not commonly done. They weren't even sure, you know, if there was water there, I mean, the villagers ridiculed the man's mission, knowing that such a feat had never before been accomplished and other attempts to locate new sources of water in the area had already failed. But after 40 days now, he was digging. I mean, he was actually, he was digging a hole. Now, we're not talking about fancy well drilling equipment. We're talking about digging a hole that he could stand in as he went down. So this hole is like five, six feet around. And he simply started digging down. After 40 days, he struck water a really sufficient source of water, not only for his wife, but for everybody in the village. Is that a great story? You know, some, sometimes a closed door 
prompts us to go in a different direction and do something spectacular, something we would not have done otherwise. I mean, we're going to see that repeatedly in the questions today. And this is certainly an example of that. The guy's wife got insulted for trying to get water from a common community well. And he decided, I'm going to dig a well myself. And he did. And now they're able to share with their own neighbors. Well, let me give you one more story here. And then we're going to go into questions. Police officer finally gets ice cream truck so he can give away free copsicles. Is that a cool word or what? Copsicles. So thanks to the efforts of officer Darren Derby of the Pittsfield Police Department in Massachusetts, the county's law enforcement recently purchased their own ice cream truck so they can give away ice cream and popsicles to the community. Now, Derby, Officer Darren Derby got the idea for the initiative after he had read about something similar in Boston and St. Louis. So Pittsfield is a relatively small city, but he believed free ice cream would be a great way for the law officers to build ties with the kids and the people in the community. So thanks to, you know, this is one of those things when, when you have a really great idea, I mean, money is never an obstacle. If you've got a great enough idea, money's going to show up in ways you never expected it. And that's certainly what happened here. I mean, they got a ton of donations from community members and local businesses. So now the policemen take turns driving around town, this really cool little van and it's the popsicle van. So they go around and build relationships, you know, with the kids. So the kids don't grow up with this fear that somehow the, the cops are bad that we see a lot of these days. Well, great idea. I really, really enjoy that story. All right, now I'm going to jump right in. I was going to, I was going to wait till later on to talk about this God closing doors, but I didn't want to risk not having time for it. So I'm going to jump right into that. Here's a note I got, and I'll just save the lady's name. She says, I'm going to try to make this as precise as possible. I was released from a church after I was ordained, but then they filled up all the positions. I've not been offered any position since. The organization that ordained me released me with no training. I pursued a higher learning by the Holy Spirit. The door was closed for valedictorian in my class, but I became salutatorian. I was qualified for many positions. Office administration, listen to this litany. Office pos- administration work, door closed. An intercessor, door closed. Armor bearer, door closed. Teacher, door closed. Prophetess, door closed. Customer service, door closed. Pastor, door closed. Even the mentorship program I was in, door closed. Mentor mentee, door closed. Doctoral and PhD program, door closed. My question, why is God closing all these doors? I've been diligently faithful in doing what he asked me to do. I've never had these many doors closed in one year. I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. Now just let that simmer for a little bit. She goes through multiple, multiple positions, door closed, door closed, door closed. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to draw from a piece that I wrote about a year ago that I titled God keeps closing the door on my calling. Now that that's not unusual. I get a lot of questions 
where people relay it in this way. They think God is closing the door, even though it's something they thought they were called to do. I mean, how many times have you known somebody who wanted to go to Africa, you know, to dig a well, or they wanted to, you know, go to Haiti and help down there. And so they tried to raise money to do that because it's a godly thing to do. And yet they were unsuccessful in raising money. The whole thing just flopped. I mean, I've known lots of people where that's true. And those people usually end up, you know, confused and resentful and, you know, frustrated. What happened there? Well, here's what I wrote in this post. Last Sunday night, after speaking at a church, a lady approached me with her question. She was obviously very discouraged with low self-esteem, poor eye contact, and overall weak personal presentation. But her question was, why should I keep trying when God keeps closing the door in my calling? Now, there's a question designed to stump even a theologian, which I am not. If God calls us to something, wouldn't he open the doors to make that happen? Is this, you know, this is kind of like that circular question, you know, can God make a rock so big he can't move it? Well, frankly, I don't think her question or our listener question today is that complicated. I think both need to take a fresh look at their calling. Now, this lady I was talking to said she's always wanted to be a counselor. She got a bachelor's degree in psychology, and then she was rejected from entering graduate school in counseling. So she spent three years and went deeply in debt to get her master's of divinity degree, thinking that would open the door. She then applied for the graduate counseling program again, but was rejected once more. She took an entry-level job with a community counseling agency, but was let go after just two months. She told me she's never married, lives alone, has few friends. I asked her if people were coming to her for advice and opinion now, to which she replied, no, that's why I need the degrees in counseling. So I think this is a misinterpretation of calling. If God calls us to something, there's going to be an affirmation of that in many ways. If God is calling you to be a musician, you'll likely already have shown talent in that area and have lots of people telling you to move in that direction. If God is calling you to counsel or coach, I'm confident people are already telling you their problems and are surprised by the wisdom you're frequently able to offer. Yeah, I think it requires work and struggle to be effective, even if in our calling. But I don't think God calls us to something that doesn't line up with our passions, our talents, our personality traits, our dreams, you know, our abilities. And Thomas Merton once said, a tree gives glory to God by being a tree. For in being what God means it to be, it is obeying him. The more a tree is like itself, the more it is like him. See, don't try to be a rose bush if you're a tree. Be a great tree. Now, what I've found many times is that that closed door has a mirror on it, forcing me to examine myself, showing me something about myself, some part of my character or my ability that needs work or redirection. And I think for our listener, the painful questions you're asking here about all these doors that are closing. Yeah, I think there's a mirror on that door. The common element on all those doors that are closed is you. Now, this is tough. 
But rather than pushing and pushing and pushing at a door that is closed so many times, I'd encourage you to leave the door shut. Leave the door shut. Go in a different direction. I think there's enough confirmation here that this whole line of thinking for you is somehow not a fit. There's no affirmation. There's no opportunity to grow into it. There's no encouragement from others. The door is shut. Now, where does this leave you? Does this then leave you unable to follow God? No, but I think you need to go back and reevaluate. What does that look like? What is it that you were actually called to do? You know, well, no, I'm going to, going to do, I was going to uh, jump gears here in a little bit. No, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with this for just a little bit. So the closed doors, there have got to be other possibilities for you. Now, this is where sometimes we think that the people who are called by God certainly are going to be pastors, teachers, priests, monks, evangelists, missionaries. You know, the, the very narrow line of how you serve people. No, I think everyone is called. But I think truck drivers, if they're called, can do that with excellence. Artists, if they're called, can use that as a ministry tool that is unequaled with anything else they would possibly pursue. You can be a teacher. You can be a stay-at-home mom and be called to do that. I mean, calling is a lot of applications, but it's that place where it blends how God has gifted us. It blends the very best of what we know about ourselves, our skills and abilities, our personality tendencies, our values, dreams, and passions. Surely there are other opportunities for you. You could have an organic garden in your community, or you could have a, like our neighbors do, a you pick garden where you have a big garden and people come in and pick that. I mean, the opportunities they have to engage with people, Kelly, to have little parties under their patio, to have somebody there playing music while people are picking. I mean, what a beautiful opportunity to speak hope and life into the lives of people who come by. There are a lot of ways to do that. It's not just either you're in church work or else you're not fulfilling God's calling. Stop that mindset. Get out of that. Well, We've got some others here that, that will relate to that as well. I hope that's encouraging, not discouraging. My goodness, it's in times when I've had closed doors that in redirecting, I find the best opportunities I've ever experienced. Had those doors not closed, I would have just been mediocre in doing that. But with the door closed, I redirected into something that turned out to be really cool opportunity. And I'm confident you can do the same. Well, this comes from Maria in Duluth, Georgia. Dan, I took a job in July of 2017. Oh, okay. You know, I was thinking that was 2018. So a year ago. So I took a job in July, 2017 at Goodwill for $8 an hour in order to get promoted within the company and make more money. Do you think I should stay with this company or start looking for a higher paying job? Well, Maria, what I would encourage you to do is look at the corporate culture, uh, the history of opportunities within the organization where you are, your Goodwill. I think it's very clear. They don't have a history 
of starting somebody at $8 an hour and moving them up to $15. No, they just get somebody else to do the $8 job and those people rotate out. It's not known for reasonable pay at any level. So I would encourage you do a great job there, but no, start looking outside that. Look at organizations where because of skills that you've developed, you could potentially double or triple your income. That's a lot easier to do by changing organizations than by hoping for incremental increases within one company. I hope that makes sense. I mean, when people stay with one company, you know, they're hoping to get a two or 3% increase a year. So your income could go from $8 an hour to $8 and 10 cents an hour. Well, at that rate, you can stay there a whole lot of years and you're not going to be making a living wage at all. But if you are really great at organizing inventory, at uh, handling logistics, where you're moving inventory at Goodwill from one location to another, or identifying when inventory has been on the floor for 30 days and you pull it off and you find new outlets to move that in inventory through. You take all the blue jeans and you're sending them to Belize where the ladies down there are turning those into really cool uh, fashion handbags. I mean, if you've got proven skills like that, that you developed while you're at Goodwill, put yourself out into the open market. You can get a job paying $20 an hour because of those skills that you've got. But that kind of increase in compensation is very, very unlikely at Goodwill. Ryan says, can you expand on the wheel of life, specifically the social category? I'm working on setting detailed and scheduled goals for myself. I'm very introverted. I'm really not sure what types of things I should be looking to set goals for in this category. Thanks, Dan. I listen to your show every week. Well, thanks for your question, Ryan. Now, in 48 Days to the Work You Love, I have the Wheel of Life. It has seven spokes on there. And I ask readers to rank themselves currently in each of these categories and then set goals in each of these categories. What would success look like for you? And here are the categories, financial, social, family, physical, personal development, spiritual, and career. Those are all connected together. Now to your question, Ryan, how can you be successful socially when you are introverted? Because you get to decide what does success look like for you in that area. Being successful socially does not mean that you go to a party every Friday night and hang out with friends from work, you know, after work at the local bar three nights a week. Beyond that, not at all. I mean, it could be that you decide you're going to initiate three new friendships this year. It may be that you decide that you're going to spend a night out with at least three other friends one night every month. If you're married, you may decide that you and your wife are going to have another couple over for, for dinner one night a month. So we're not talking about quantity here. We're just talking about what are you doing to be intentional in that area? You may be a much better candidate to have deep relationships with four people than to have surface relationships with 50. 
So on a Friday night, given the choice to go to a party or go to a chamber of commerce event where there are going to be 120 people there, you may choose to have two or three people over to do a book discussion. That's a legitimate method of moving up in success in the social category. Wow. Great question. So, so many, I mean, this is where you really get to be individualized in how you approach this. You can do it. Well, I got a, got a note from, from Miles here, which I really like. I love just getting notes that people share. You know, I got a bunch of, last week I talked about the fact that, um, where did I put that? That fact that they had just completed bidding for lunch with Warren Buffett that they do every year. <laughs> people pay. It was like $1.3 million or something this last year for, uh, or this year to have lunch with Warren Buffett. And I said, you know, who would you want to have lunch with? Well, I got a note from Donita says, I think it would be fun to have lunch with Rush Limbaugh. We've listened to him since we married 28 years ago. Our children have grown up listening to him and all we, and we all love his children's books. Since we're a family of eight, it would be interesting. Had some other interesting input on that one. Uh, lunch with Rush Limbaugh. You know, that guy's so used to talking. I wonder if he really engages in conversation or if he just keeps talking, even if there's a crowd of people around. Anyway, I, I, golly, I can think of people that I would certainly enjoy uh, having lunch with. And you know what? I reach out to a lot of people. I have lunch with a lot of really interesting people. People come through Nashville. I met some really great people by just having lunch together. But here's a note from Miles, a little different direction. He says, I know you always seem to collect ideas for easy to start businesses. So here's one on-site headlight polishing and restoration. You'd need to learn how to polish and protect the headlights. Then you could just go around to area businesses and offer it to their employees. You'd put out the word people would sign up, pay in advance, drive their car on the selected day. You would just go through the lot cleaning and polishing their headlights. I know my cars need it. And as I look through the parking lot, so do many others. It requires some elbow grease, however, and I'm thinking it would be ideal for a high school or college kid or someone who just needs extra cash. Anyway, just thought I'd share it with you. Well, Miles, I love your idea. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, you know, that's one of my pet peeves are these cheap plastic headlights they put on cars these days. I mean, it used to be glass. So you could have a car that was 20 years old and the headlights were absolutely clear because it's glass. Now they put those plastic covers over the halogen bulbs and the plastic deteriorates. So you can have a car that's 18 months old and the headlights are fogged. I mean, to me, it's, it's really obnoxious. I mean, it's one of those small details, and I, I just don't understand why car manufacturers don't pay more attention to that because it makes the whole car look old. Well, maybe it's built-in obsolescence is what they want. About 18 months, they want you to trade in and obligate yourself to payments on a new car. But no, I think the business is great. Like, very easy. I mean, my goodness, you can have, well, I, I mean, I have used toothpaste. I mean, I, I'm an expert at polishing headlights because it is a pet peeve of mine. I keep ours clean, but uh, toothpaste, I've used that. It works as, as well as most any of the compounds out there. That all That's all they are. It's just something that has almost like a little sand in it. So it's a little sandpaper effect. You can do that. You can use a real high number, like a, a 400 sandpaper and a little water and just simply polish them like that. 
Now, that's a little risky. You got to know what you're doing to do it that way. And then there's certainly compounds out there where you just put it on instantly, just clears them up. Nothing lasts forever. It's good for about six months and it's going to be needed to be done again, which is a great way to build in repeat business. But yeah, I think you could charge, I think you'd charge $40 to do that. And it takes about 10 minutes to do that. So if you really line them up in advance, my goodness, I could see making $500 in a day, going to a parking lot where you had to line up in advance the work that you were going to do and just do them. Yep. One of those great ideas, a lot of ideas out there. Now the, the, the deal is having an idea doesn't put money in anybody's pocket. It's only the person who implements a plan takes action. Those are the people who make money. So having the idea, yeah, I mean, I, I love the idea. Having the idea doesn't do anything for anybody. So if you've got an idea, don't think it's worth anything. It's worth something if you implement it and do it. So if you like this idea, Miles' idea, hey, go ahead and do it. Give us an update 90 days from now at the success that you've had. I'd love to hear it. Well, Kimberly just sent a note. Last week, I responded to a note from Kimberly. And uh, just to refresh you, she said last week, I went back and grabbed it. She said, I was just fired from a small business after 14 years. Um, you know, just unexpected termination. She was given a raise the week before due to selling $160,000 in six weeks. Said she worked 100% from home. So email was the only contact with the office and uh, they fired her. And she was concerned about how do you answer the question for another employer when they say, why did you leave your last employer? And I said, golly, if you get the ability to sell $160,000 of anything working totally from home, the next company is not going to care why you left your last employer. Believe me, you don't need to address it. Boom. Just hold your head high. And go. Well, anyway, got a note from Kimberly. She said, thanks so much for answering my question on last week's podcast. I was crying with relief. It's amazing how trapped my brain gets with possible solutions. I never dreamed your answer would be that my termination was a non-issue. I've been catching up on old episodes of your podcast. I have a few ideas for starting my own business. So I might just choose me. I'm in a much better place now. Thanks again for your words of encouragement. Well, I'm glad it encouraged you, Kimberly. And sometimes we just need a new perspective on those things that seem to be negatives in our lives. I mean, I know that when we lose a job, the knee-jerk reaction, and I've heard this over and over and over again, knee-jerk reaction is, you know, oh my goodness, I just lost my job. We're going to have to, you know, probably going to lose our house. We're going to have to forego vacation this year. We're going to have to let the car go back in. We're going to have to pull the kids out of private school. You know, people start thinking about all the things they're going to do with less. Well, the interesting thing is change does not necessarily lead to less. As a matter of fact, many, many times it leads to more. So it goes the other way. So people who thought they were going to have to settle for less, no, they realize, whoa, they were missing something. They're underemployed. My gosh, I was getting $8 an hour and lost my job. Whoa. I just got hired at $20 an hour. I would have never taken the initiative if I had not gotten fired. So it works that way for many of us. Again, the closed door doesn't mean the road ends. It means take a right turn. 
and discover the opportunities that are just aside from that closed door. Closed doors, hey, not a big deal. Well, you know that I've shared some things that are happening here at the sanctuary. That saga continues. We do not have a resolution, and it appears there's a whole lot of closed doors at getting the simple permits that we need for the sanctuary here in our property. But it does, the saga continues. And uh, after 18 months, it's like, are you kidding me? Now, here's the thing, though. Am I laying awake at night worried about that? No, not a chance. Not a chance. I mean, if I really look at what's the worst that could happen, you know, they could force me to bulldoze the building. Is that the end of my life? My opportunities? Well, no, not exactly. I mean, would it be horrendous? Yes, it would be. But you know what? The next morning I get up and do the same thing I'm doing now, enjoying it just as much if in fact it comes to that. Now, I'm pretty, pretty confident that it will not. But uh, right now, things are pretty complicated and uh, seems to be what should be simple issues, but it's not that. The county is being very, very cantankerous and just simply closing doors left and right. So we'll see where that ends up. I'll give you an update if it's another 18 months. Although at this point, the clock is ticking. Uh, they've set a timeline where if I don't have permits in place, then I, they go to a daily fine for having the building. Uh, I can choose to bulldoze it or pay a daily fine for, I think it's like $50 for having the building here. So, um, and hopefully it won't come to that, but uh, it seems counterintuitive. They are demanding that I get the permits, but they won't issue the permits with under any circumstances. So, however, if that is a closed door, it's not going to stop Dan Miller's enjoyment of day-by-day living wherever we are, whether it's in Franklin, Tennessee, or someplace else. And as you know, the, the challenges that we've had in this issue have caused Joanne and me to consider the possibility of maybe other locations. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of traveling the rest of this year, and we're going to be seeing a lot of places. We're going to be going to Virginia and uh, Philadelphia, and then we're going to be going to Columbus, Ohio. Got a trip planned to Orlando. We've got one planned to San Diego. We've got one planned to Chicago. And um, we've got a couple of them planned in Tacomas, Florida. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of other places. So, And we keep our eyes open for what would new opportunities look like in a new location? So anyway, we're moving forward. Well, let me go to another question here. This comes from Goran. He says, my name is Goran. I'm looking to help our priest who, after 20 years in service, is going through a very hard time and is looking for a career change. As he said, he's starting a new life. I was hoping that you might have a resource on your website or if you, or, or if not, you could point me to a right direction to help him with this. I know your time is limited and don't want to bog you down with all the details, but basically he's thinking of driving a long distance cargo van. Now, this is a priest after 20 years in service, thinking of driving a long distance cargo van. I'm not saying he's wrong, but there's got to be a better way and a lot more opportunities and options for him than just one. Well, Gore and I appreciate your concern for your friend. I think you're absolutely right. There ought to be 20 possibilities. But here's where we go back to the drawing board, so to speak. There are three terms that we tend to use interchangeably, and yet they're quite different. 
Those terms are vocation, career, and job. So vocation is the big picture. It should include our purpose, our mission, our destiny, our calling, those big things, you know, the big things out there. And it could be, well, let's just say that it could be to reduce pain and suffering in the world. So when we look at careers that would fully embrace that, we could talk about being a physician, massage therapist, a sports trainer, biochemist, surgeon, nurse, priest, pastor, teacher. Are those all legitimate ways in which you could reduce pain and suffering in the world? A well digger in India. Yes, there's a whole lot of things that you could do as a career that would fully embrace the vocation of helping to reduce pain and suffering in the world. A job then is just the smallest component. One of the things I mentioned in there was a nurse. So here in Nashville, Tennessee, my gosh, I have no idea. There's probably 5,000 nurses. So having a job, yeah, you get one of those positions. But if your calling is to help reduce pain and suffering in the world and you lose your job, is that the end of it? No, there's tons of jobs as nurses. And if that door closes, you know, you could spend time with people who are in hospice. You could, uh, you know, help transport and care for the elderly. You could teach health principles to homeschoolers. I mean, we can go on and on and on. The same thing is true if you were a priest. You were a priest for 20 years. I would encourage you to help him go back and revisit vocation. What was it that called you to this originally? I mean, it seldom is it going to be, well, I wanted to wear, you know, a, a long black suit and a white collar every day. No, that's not it. The, the vocation is certainly going to be, I wanted to bring hope to people who are discouraged, who are in despair. I wanted to enlighten people on biblical truths. I mean, there's got to be something like that. So if we look at that, well, if you want to enlighten people on biblical truths, there's a whole lot of ways to do that. You can be a teacher and you can work with people in parochial kids in parochial schools. You can do seminars on specific topics that you want to do. I mean, there's a long list, but that's where you start. You go back to what was the vocation that led me into the career that I currently have. And in doing so, that's why I work, you know, I've worked with lots of physicians, attorneys, dentists pastors over the years who are doing things that seem to be totally unrelated to what they were doing previously. And yet they're not, they embrace what the person was doing originally here in my office. I have a painting here done by a young man who had been a pastor, not for 20 years, but about four years. And they were frustrating years but he thought he was doing something godly. We started unpacking it and looked at what his real calling was and discovered that his talent was that of being an artist. He is now an artist. And in being an extremely successful artist, he has way more opportunities to really minister to people in ways that he knows are effective than he had as a pastor. That was a very limited method. Now that he's 
an artist, those doors have opened up dramatically. I mean, I have physicians who are doing totally different things, but things that still embrace what they wanted to do in their vocation. A dentist who was very successful by all external all external views as a dentist, and yet was miserable in the life that he had created. Well, we unpacked that and looked at what is your vocation? What is your calling? And determined that a more accurate application of that would be in marriage and family counseling. He went back, got an additional degree. He's very established as a family and marriage counselor. Does that negate what he did originally? No. Did it put him off track? No. Did it totally destroy his ability to provide for his family? No. I mean, all those things were still in place, even though the career application was very different. So your friend as a priest has those same opportunities available. Now, if he's always dreamed about driving a long distance cargo van, my goodness, do that. Do it with excellence. I mean, look for the opportunities to engage with other people, to bring them hope and encouragement that they need to be a light for integrity, character, morality in an industry where perhaps, you know, that's a challenge. I mean, there's certainly opportunities to do that out there, but go back and revisit vocation as the big picture, then look at what the career opportunities, then what the jobs would be in that career. All right. So here's the deal. We started off with this and you can certainly just uh, recognize this is what we've been talking about all the way through. Are you staring at the closed door? Maybe it's time to build a whole new house. I mean, how exciting is that? I mean, Joanna and I have been talking about that. We've been in this house for 18 years. That's longer than we've ever been anywhere. It's kind of exciting to think about doing something new, starting over and decorating, having a new yard, new outlook, new location. Uh, I'm not sure we're ready for that, but it's certainly not a negative thought to think about that. So maybe that's closed door you're staring at. Look at the mirror that's on that door, but then move on. Move on to something else. Well, hey, I love your questions every week. Keep those coming in. If you got a question you'd like for us to discuss here or success story, you know, just shoot it into me at askdan at 48days.com. Again, it's just email askdan at 48days.com. Keep those coming in. Keep looking for your own opportunities. I mean, I, trust me, those opportunities are all around you. We're not lacking for opportunities. We're at a time where change is rampant. There's no question about it. And technology has taken over. Artificial intelligence is replacing people left and right. But you know what? At the same time, unemployment has never been this historically low. That means anybody who really wants to engage is going to be able to find some way to get in the game. So make sure you're finding your opportunity, but don't stare at the closed door. Build a new house. Enjoy the process. Hey, thanks for being part of this growing group of people who are optimistic, who recognize the new opportunities, who have their reticular activator fully engaged, and who are totally confident we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, 
and profitable.